All right, well, good morning. Glad you guys have joined us here this morning. I want to uh, start out our final message of this series that we're doing in a similar way to the way I started out the very first message in this series. And I want to, by, by kind of painting a picture of the normal American uh, financial reality based on the stats in our country right now. I, I hit some of these the, the first week. I want to hit some other ones dealing specifically with debt. I want to take a, just paint a picture of the snapshot of what normal looks like in our country right now. And I'm going to come back to the same question I asked the first week. And so, so let's take a look. Normal American uh, family reality right now. Uh, normal normal uh, household income in America is around $59,000. That's pre-tax money. Uh, or around $4,000 a month post-tax. And that's partially thanks to the uh, kind of doubling of the child care tax credit for the two, you know, the 2.2 kids in the average American family. So that's a little less than maybe it has been in the past. $4,000 a month. Now, this is where it starts getting interesting. So if you, if you use that as a rough number, around four grand a month uh, after taxes, the average American family spends about $1,995 a month on debt repayment, or about, we're getting around here, but or about how much? What percentage? Half. Half of, of our post-tax income, we turn around and throw right back out the door in payment of uh, principal and interest on debts that we owe all over the place. This is just craziness to me. Third thing, uh, normal Americans carry a credit card balance and have on average $15,654 per household of credit card debt. That crazy on paying on average somewhere between 15 and 20 percent interest on that uh, each and every month. Uh, the average American, if you go on, household has 131, or, or actually backwards, it's 131,431 uh, of debt. So that includes mortgage and everything else, but more than $100,000 of debt that they're paying on again each and every month. Uh, you go on, uh, the average American uh, spends more than they make every month. They spend between 118 and 122% of their monthly income. How do you think that's going to end up, right? The average American spends 18 to 22% more every single month than they actually make. Uh, the average, uh, this one was fascinating to me, the average uh, college student graduate, that graduated from college this last year had $37,000 plus, $37,172 in student loans that they're going to be paying on for the next 20 to 30 years. $37,000. Some are much higher than that. Uh, the average American will have less than eighteen grand in the bank at the time of retirement. Uh, average Americans, normal Americans, uh, list money problems as the number one cause of divorce and the biggest source of fighting in their, uh, in their marriage, according to the American Bar Association. Normal Americans worry about uh, money on a daily basis and think they need to make about 20% more than they actually make uh, to be happy, and that's regardless of how much they make. Right? If they make $15,000 a year, if they make $150,000 a year, it doesn't make any difference. They think they need to make just a little bit more in order to be happy, in order to have enough, that kind of thing. And again, I want to come back to the same question I asked the first week of the series. You look at all that, the conclusion is, why in the world would I want to be normal? Right? If, that, if that's what the normal American looks like in a, in a financial picture, why in the world would we want to continue the cycle? If it's causing fighting, it's causing divorce, we're getting ourselves completely in over our heads, spending more than we make each and every month. If we are in debt up to our eyeballs, we spend 50% of our income doing that, the, it begs the question, why be normal? 
right? Who in their right mind would want to keep going in this direction? Like we're going to drive our lives straight into the ground. It's going to cause stress and anxiety and fighting and on and on. Any normal, rational person who's taking a look at this this uh, picture has to come to the conclusion: say, man, if this is the direction it's all going, if this is my reality then stop the merry-go-round. I want to get off, right? This doesn't make any sense. I want better than that for my life, for my family. I don't want to live in that reality. I don't want to be enslaved to debt each and every month for the rest of my life. What if there's something different? What if there's something better? What if I can live in freedom? We are on our fourth and final week of a series we've been doing here at Ignite. Uh, and we've been calling it, it's a series called Making Change. And this series is all about finding a new normal for our financial worlds because, as we've said, the current approach just isn't working and it's time for a change. It's time that we learn to put into practice some of the biblical financial principles that can lead us out of anxiety and out of fighting and out of indebtedness and all this stuff and lead us instead into a place where we can experience God's blessing and his peace, even his contentment and his freedom in our financial worlds. His plans we've been talking about really are better than normal, right? They, they really are better and they really do lead to the good stuff. And so we're taking a few weeks to sort of dig into his teachings and his wisdom on our finances. And we're challenging all of us to actually not, not just hear the message, right? Not just hear it and say, good message, pastor, but, but to actually put this stuff into practice in our lives. We said, that's that's where the good stuff happens, right? When we actually not just know what God says on it, but we actually put it into practice in our lives, it will lead us towards freedom in our financial worlds. This week, I'm going to wrap up the series by talking about finding freedom specifically from debt, because as we just talked about, it's just crippling us as a country. It's crippling us as a church, and because I'm so sick of hearing and seeing this in so many of our lives, that we are so indebted, so enslaved by our finances that we can't walk in the good plans that God has for us. And so uh, we're going to push into this. I'm going to start out just kind of surveying, doing a kind of a quick look at so many of the scriptures. We're going to look at maybe uh, five or six different uh, scripture passages and verses that talk about this whole issue of debt. And you want to get some, some broad strokes of what God teaches on this. And then we're going to zero in really on one or two uh, verses at the end, and then we'll do some application. We're going to start in Proverbs 12, verse 9. And remember, Proverbs are, it's wisdom literature. It's talking about, it's just kind of rapid fire wisdom sayings about how life works best. Two is inspired by God. It's written, uh, the human author is a guy by the name of Solomon, but clearly uh, God's in it. So listen to this, Proverbs 12, 9. And this one isn't specifically talking about debt, but I think it applies to all of us. He says, it's better to be a nobody and yet have a servant, right? He's saying, and yet actually have some wealth, have some, uh, some things. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. I think part of the problem for us as Americans is that we like to pretend that we have money, that we like to pretend that we can live a lifestyle that we can't actually afford. There was a book written a number of years ago uh, called The Millionaire Next Door, and a fascinating book, but the, it comes from a bunch of uh, data and a study that was done uh, where some people are saying, I would love to find out what the practices are of people that actually have uh, wealth, right, and, and see kind of how are they handling their money compared to the rest of us, and they thought, we're going to learn some good lessons and that kind of stuff, and so they said, how do we find these people? They said, this is easy. This is cake. They said, we're going to walk through some neighborhoods uh, that, I mean, 
that are wealthy, right? The, the big custom houses, they have the BMW or whatever uh, SUVs in the driveway probably cost, I don't know, six digits or something crazy. Like we're gonna, we're gonna, everybody knows where the rich people live. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go there, we're gonna go door to door and we're gonna ask them about their financial practices. And so, so they start out this study and what they found is they're going through these neighborhoods. What they found again and again and again and again is they said, you know what, so often, the people that live in those houses and with those cars and that are living this kind of lifestyle, they're not actually wealthy. They are in debt up to their eyeballs. They're pretending, right, that they have that lifestyle, but they don't actually, they're, they're cash poor. They don't actually have money. They are in debt so far over their head, they, they don't even know how to get out. But they've got the car and they've got the, the house and they've got the lifestyle. They said, actually, and what the study found is that actually so often, again, there's some people that are wealthy live in those neighborhoods, right, of course, but they said so often the people that actually have uh, wealth are normal people. They look like you and me. They're driving used cars. They're living in houses that are well below their means, and they've just learned to put, to put into practice some of these principles so that they can save, and they're not overspending, and they're right, living on a budget, and they're doing the smart thing. Fascinating kind of things. Well, when, when it comes to you and me, I don't think many of us are driving $100,000 vehicles. <laughs> At least if you've seen my car, you're pretty sure that's not the case, right? But we're, we may not be living in custom houses. But anytime we are choosing to consistently spend more than we make, in a way, we're pretending to. We're pretending to have resources that we simply do not have. And God says, it is not wise. It's just not wise. In fact, it's foolish to live that way. He says it's better to be a nobody. It's better to just live in your reality and yet have surplus than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. It's just not wise. So let's go on. Uh, Romans 13, verse 7, verse 7 and 8. I thought this is a fascinating one, too. God says this. He says, give to everyone... Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay them taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, what's the main idea of this passage, by the way? You can talk in church. What's the main idea of the passage? Huh? I can wait you out. I can stare you down. <laughs> right? What, what do you think the main idea of the passage is? Love one another. Okay, but what, what's the other? What, keep going. What, what else? What's, what's, the main, what's the main thought here? Don't have debt. Right? Let no debt remain outstanding. Right? Except the debt to love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding. In fact, let's, let's read that together. What does that say? Let no debt remain outstanding except the one that says to, to love one another, except the debt to love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding. You know what the Greek word, by the way, for no is? None. <laughs> right? It means nothing. Right? It, it means nothing. Right? Let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, pay it back. If you have a debt, you pay it. It's as simple as that. Being in debt is not a sin, but being in debt from a biblical perspective is dangerous. And we need to be real careful, especially anytime we're taking on, uh, you know, those stupid kinds of uh, consumer debt, credit card debt, that kind of stuff. Anytime we take that on, uh, and 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 take on significant amounts of debt in our lives, I mean, it's dangerous. And God says, "Man, get out of it. Let no debt remain outstanding. Pay it back." 
But no, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if that, if that were our reality, if we had no debt except, we were, except the debt that we had received from Christ of, of his great love and his great sacrifice, and therefore we wanted to, to express and pour out that love to other people. Can you imagine a world in which you're, you had no mortgage, in which your credit cards were paid off? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that, what that would be like if that 50% was paid in full? And now suddenly you have double the income to use for God's glory and for God's purposes and even for the good of your family. and Even just to enjoy, to give extravagantly. Can you imagine if we let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love others? Let's go on. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And Ecclesiastes 5 says this, When you vow a vow to God, don't delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Can we pause for a second? What is he saying uh, is the case if we have uh, made a vow to pay for something over time and then haven't repaid it. He's referring to those people as fools, right? He says, don't be a fool. God doesn't take pleasure in fools. Instead, he says, pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Again, similar principles. He's saying pay back what you owe. When you take a vow, which is what debt is, it's taking a, it's taking a vow that says, I'm going to pay for this thing over the next year or two years or 20 years or 30 years or whatever. It's taking a vow, right? A vow before God, a vow before others saying, I'm going to pay this off. He says, when you take a vow, pay it off and pay it off as soon as you can. Don't delay, he says, in paying it back. Pay, pay back ASAP. Proverbs 22, 26 through 27 says this. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. <laughs> Again, what's the principle? He's saying be careful. right? Be careful about going into debt. Be careful about going, even signing or offering collateral for risky debt for yourself or for other people. Be real careful with that. Because why? Because if you can't pay, if they can't pay, they're coming after you. Some of us have experienced that where you've got debt collectors calling you up and hounding you. You got the government garnishing your wages. You got, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff going on, right? Some of us have experienced that, and it stinks, doesn't it? It's terrible when they're coming after you again and again. You're getting notices. They're scaring you. They're calling you at work. They're calling you at home. They're calling you wherever you go. Kind of thing. They're hounding you. God says you got to be so careful. You do not want to get yourself in that kind of debt. You don't want to get yourself in that kind of situation because they'll, they'll come after you. They'll take your house. They'll take your wages. They'll take your bed, he says even. Uh, but they will get their money back in one way or another. Be real careful, he says. Now let's do this. I'm going to start zeroing in here. These, these last two are the ones I want to focus in on. Proverbs uh, 6, uh, 1 through 5 says this. Oh, this is great. Uh, did I not read that one? Okay, it's the same, it's the same basic principle. Go ahead. Go back. I'll read that one. Don't be one who shakes hands and pledges or puts up security for debts. Uh, yeah, I did say that. You don't like the means. You're very bad. we uh, snatch out from under you. Let's go to the next one. Proverbs 6 says this. It says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, then you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. He says, so do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go, go at once, go to the point of exhaustion and give yourself or give your neighbor no rest. 
Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Now, let me just make a distinction, and then I'll come back to the main point of this. The Bible, uh, we've talked about this. The Bible has tons to say, encourages, encourages us, commands us even as Christ followers, right, to be generous. We talked about this two, three weeks ago, whenever that was, two weeks ago, I guess it was. We talked about this, right? God tells us that if, if, a, if a family member, if a friend or whatever is in need, we should help them. Right? That, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. In fact, we're told even, uh, Jesus talks about, man, why don't you give to, your, uh, to, to people around you that are in need? Give to them to the point of, like, e- even if they're risky, but they have significant need, give to them. Be generous to them, and you'll be like your Father in Heaven. Right? I mean, we're, we're told again and again and again to be generous to those around us who are in need. And so this is not saying, oh, you should only think about yourself. You should only just worry about your needs. and your. That's not at all what's happening here. This is talking about, why don't you keep that up if you would. What he's talking about is he's talking about risky sort of debts. He's saying if your neighbor comes to you and they can't, they don't have any collateral of their own, they have a terrible credit history, they've got whatever, and yet they want to take on some high risk, high interest sort of debt, they can't get it on their own, they're saying, he's saying, don't go and sign for them. All right, this is going to be bad news. Don't do that kind of thing. This is, this is not going to end up well. If they need help, why don't you help them? But don't don't just go signing away. He's like, that's foolish. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, what, what's happening here. But, but I like uh, the second half of this verse is kind of what I want to focus in on. Because I love what it says, and I think this can really be applied to all of us who have debt in our lives. This is what he ends up saying. He says, listen to this. He says, go to the point of exhaustion. Go. Give yourself no rest. Go, right? Allow no sleep. He says, free yourself like a gazelle. Has anybody ever watched the Discovery Channel or something and watched the gazelles, right, kind of hopping over? Okay, maybe just me. I don't know. (laughs) Have you ever seen that before? Like gazelles running, like there's a lion running after them or something. Those things are fast. They're sprinting. They're zigging and zagging, all this kind of stuff. And uh, he's, he's saying, that's the picture. Free yourself, right? Do whatever you have to do. Get out of debt. Do not be enslaved by it because it'll take you out. He says, instead, free yourself like a gazelle. Get out of debt. Get out of that situation. Don't rest until you're free. You are not meant to be enslaved like that. Instead, he says, step into freedom. Do the work. Figure out a way. But get out from underneath that kind of trapping, ensnaring, and crippling kinds of debt and be free. And that takes us to the last verse I want us to zero in on today. And it's this one. Uh, This is pretty well known. But it says this, the rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. I want you to read that last part with me. And the borrower is slave to the lender. I'm not sure we believe that. It's one of those things that like, oh, yeah, I mean, we could say, oh, yeah, good pastor. But I mean, like, I'm not sure we really believe it to the point of living this stuff out in our lives. The borrower is a slave, is enslaved to the lender. The Hebrew word there is actually abed, uh, and it just means that it means servant, it means slave, it means bondage. If you are in debt, then you are in bondage, then you are enslaved. The vast majority of Americans are living each and every month in financial bondage. You are enslaved to your finances. 
Well, how do you know if you're in financial bondage? Let me give you some examples. I, I kind of wrote down just a few things to get us spinning. If you have ever said something like this, if you've ever thought, if you've ever wrestled with it, then chances are, I can't speak to every, each and every situation, but chances are you are experiencing and living in financial bondage. If you've ever said or thought, man, Maybe after a couple weeks ago, we were talking about putting God first in our finances, and, and we talked about the principle of first fruits and tithing and beyond, like extravagant generosity of our lives in our lives. If you've ever heard something like that or, or, or whatever, and you had a desire in you, and you said, man, I would love to do that, but I just can't afford it, chances are you're enslaved. You're living in some sort of financial bondage. If you've ever said or thought or had, boy, we'd love to have kids, a young couple, right? They're like, man, we believe kids are a blessing from the Lord. We'd love to have a whole house full, but we just can't afford it. If that's your reality, chances are you're enslaved in one way or another. You're living in financial bondage. If you've ever thought, if, if God has ever nudged you to do something, maybe to give extravagantly to the poor, Right? Maybe God has broken your heart over something. You're like, man, uh, I want to, you know, Paul shared, was it last week, uh, about the, uh, the, water, the water crisis. Did you hear about that? He said there's that zero day uh, in which they are going to run out of water in one of the countries in Africa. Man, if you hear something like that, it breaks your heart. Like, I want to do something, but you're like, I don't think I can do something and pay my bills. If you've, ever, if you've ever felt nudged by God, he, he's nudged you and said, man, I'm calling you to go on a missions trip, or I'm calling you to go step out and do this, and you thought, I'd love to, but I just can't. If you've ever experienced that, chances are you're living in slavery to debt in some way. There's all different kinds of ways this plays out. If we've ever, look, one last one. If you've, and this one's pretty common, and, and so forgive me, I'm not pointing at anybody here, but if you've ever had this kind of conversation at home where a husband or wife or whatever says, man, I would love to be able to stay home with our kids and just raise them and nurture them and pour into them, and you have said, well, we can't do that because we can't afford it. We, both of us have to work in order to afford our lifestyle, in order to pay our bills. Now, again, can't speak to every situation, but chances are, if that's the conversation that's happening, and you'd like to, but you're not able to, I wonder if you are living your life enslaved to finances, in financial bondage in one way or another. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. Right? The one who borrows money is in slavery, is in bondage to the person that is lending them the money. Financial bondage hurts, it cripples, it does damage in our lives. The early church father, second, second century uh, early church father Cyprian said this, I thought this is a facet, he's talking about Christ followers in his day that were, that were living in this kind of financial bondage. He says this, he says, their property held them in chains, chains which shackled their courage, chains that choked their faith and hampered their judgment, even throttled their souls. They think of themselves as owners where it is they, rather, who are owned, enslaved as they are to their own property. They are not the masters of their money, but it's slaves. Ouch. I shared some horrifying stats at the beginning, but one of them that I found uh, most uh, shocking is that one that said we spend approximately $1.22 for every dollar we spend every month 
I mean, think about that. $1.22 for every dollar we spend. We, if we live in the most prosperous country on planet Earth, and yet we cannot live within our means, and we think we need to make more and more and more, thinking then, those, then we would be happy. I mean, think about that. What does that mean for the rest of the world? What does that mean for our own souls? What does that mean for us? First of all, as Britt kind of alluded to earlier, right? first of all, that probably reveals an idol for us. If we are looking to money and think with an insatiable appetite of like, I just need more and more and more and more, and then I would be happy, then chances are, chances are we're looking to that for stuff that only God can provide in our lives. If we are looking to money and stuff to provide fullness and satisfaction and contentment and lasting joy, then we're looking in the wrong place because only God can do that. And we need, to, we need to drop down on our knees and say, God, would you forgive me? And would you once again take the rightful place in my life? I need you. You are, you are the source of all. But if we're continuing down that road, if we are continuing to live enslaved by debt, going after more and more and more and piling up the debt loads again and again, we just need to know, right, that that boat isn't going to flow for long, is it? We are going down. It's going to suck us down. And we will spend our lives likely enslaved by debt. We're setting ourselves up for significant stress, for fighting in our marriages, for a future filled with economic and spiritual emptiness and problems. And it's not Trump's fault. It's not Obama's fault. It's not the corrupt Illinois government's fault. It's your fault, and it's my fault. We are enslaved by debt. We've done so willingly. We have chosen it again and again. And friends, hear this. And we need to break free. God says, go, free yourself like a gazelle. (laughs) Don't be enslaved, he says. Don't give yourself rest until you have paid back what you owe and you have stepped into freedom. I mean, some of us don't even think that's probably possible. But what if it is? What if it is? I mean, can you imagine a day when you didn't have to spend 50% of your income on debt repayment? I mean, can you imagine a day when you could step up and pay cash for your car? Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine having money in the bank so that when, not if, but when that next thing breaks down, your car breaks down or whatever, your furnace breaks down or your hot water heater goes out, when that happens, you had the cash at hand that you could pay for. You wouldn't have to stress. You wouldn't have to pull out the MasterCard, right? You could just pay the bill. What if it's possible for you and for me to live and to to walk a path that would lead us out of that slavery to debt and into freedom? Wouldn't it be worth walking? For the rest of our time, I want to shift to just some real practical stuff. Some of this I've I've ripped off from uh, Dave Ramsey and others like him. Some of it is just plain old biblical kind of stuff, but there's kind of three points I just want us to zero in on. I'll give you a little hint here, too. Uh, Dave Ramsey isn't original. He's not the originator of hardly any of his content. He ripped it off from God, right? And so, and so we're just going to kind of go from here. I want you to just, just think about this. If you're taking notes, I'd, and I'd encourage you to, just kind of jot down some things. Uh, some notes. It's also in the app if you want to follow along in there. But uh, I want you to think about this. And again, we're, the, the urgency and the, the, the push is to put these things into practice in your lives and in my life, okay? So we can walk out of bondage and into freedom. First thing I want to say is this. Learn to say no, right? Let's learn to say no, and especially to credit, to things that require credit. 
Proverbs 21.5 says that we look at this the first week. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Haste. What does haste mean? What's that? Doing it in a hurry, just kind of jumping into things. I think in, in this context, we'll talk about impulse buying, right? Anybody ever been a sucker to impulse buying? You say, oh, man, I, didn't, I, I see it and I need it. They, I mean, they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, all these stores do, right, on product placement. They do testing. They have all kinds of things, right, uh, so, that, so that you can, uh, when you walk by that end cap at Walmart, you see something that grabs you. You're like, oh, I need that, right? You didn't even know you needed it 10 seconds earlier, but now you need it, so you put it in your cart. It's why you can go in for toilet paper and come out with a $150 bill at Walmart or Target or whatever, right? It's why, it's why they're doing... Uh, uh, predictive analytics, uh, Amazon owns this, right? So that if you search for something, they've got a whole algorithm that now suddenly other products are going to be popping up all over the place. Google does this too, right? Saying, oh, look, look at this. If you like this, then you might like these 10 things. You should see this and buy it, right? Click here to purchase. Nobody here's ever done that, right? Yeah. I mean, that, there's a reason they're spending millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on this stuff. It works because we are so trained. We don't even think about the cost. We don't even think about, do I have money for this? We just say, oh, I want that. Click. I want that. Purchase. It'll be at my house in two, in two days, right? It goes on my car. I don't even have to think about it. And so often we get ourselves enslaved because we simply don't think we don't we don't plan we don't have the cash we don't have the money for it up front and so the first step is we have to learn to say no i read uh, about some brain research a while back i thought this is fascinating they did this whole study they took uh people that were christ followers they hooked them up to all you know all the uh i can't think of the name <laughs> this come on nurses right all the stuff that they put on your head and stuff to measure brain activity what's that yeah, okay, some of this kind of stuff. They, maybe portable CT scan or something, I don't know what it is, but to measure brain activity, all this stuff. And they took people and they, wanted, they, they cued them and they said, I want you to think about a time when you, when you heard from God, when you experienced his presence. I want you to think about a time when God really spoke to you or whatever. And they measured and what they found is that there's uh, some very specific hormones that are released and there's some very a very specific part of the brain that that accesses. And... Uh, and so that fascinating kind of study. Then they took another group of people and they, they took them, hooked them all up to the machines and everything and same thing except they said, I want you to think about a time when you purchased something that was really cool. You know, like that you got your first iPhone or you got the newest big screen TV which runs, oh yeah, like all this kind of stuff. And they took them into a room and there's a picture of like new boats and like, you know, hot sports cars on the wall and all this kind of stuff. And they, they measured the brain activity and you want to know what they found? It triggers the exact same hormones and the exact same part of the brain. Isn't that fascinating? We have literally replaced God with our pursuit of and our desire for stuff. And as, again, going after more and more and more and more. And as we do that, right, we're getting more and more and more in debt. We are piercing ourselves with many, grief, with many griefs. And we are finding ourselves enslaved by debt. And not to mention... That stuff can never deliver in a lasting way. So that's why it requires more and more and more. I think we as a culture ask the wrong questions about this kind of stuff. We tend to ask, how much is this stuff going to cost me this month? 
right? Can I afford it in my budget? This is making the payments. But we forget to ask the question, what's the real cost? Remember first week we talked about provision, right? Looking ahead, being able to plan ahead so that we don't get trapped and enslaved by this kind of stuff. That's what we're talking about, asking the real question. What's the real cost of this stuff? I mean, yes, it's easier for us to pay insurance every month, but oftentimes if you pay once a year, you pay cash, you pay up front, they'll give you a 20% discount or something. You want to know why? They're charging you 20% to finance it every month, right? It might be easier. What's the real cost? It's much more than you think. What's the real cost of, of uh, you know, putting uh, your TV on a credit card and paying every month? There's interest. There's all kinds of extra things. If you miss a payment, they'd be delighted. Because they'll own you then. Then the interest rate jumps up and there's all kinds of fees and all kinds of stuff. What's the real cost to that kind of stuff? What's the real cost, not only in terms of money, but what's the cost in terms of the stress and strain it's going to put on you and on your marriage? What's the the lost opportunity cost? What's the, what's the cost of, you know, you might need that money next month that you spent this, this month on something whimsical? What's the cost on stress and worrying and fighting about finances? Because we're saying yes to anything that catches our eye. We're spending more than we make. What's the cost of that kind of thing? In our country, debt is normal these days. In fact, uh, I, I think many of us believe that debt is absolutely essential and necessary, but it was not always the case. In 1929, only 2% of American homes had a mortgage on it. Believe that? Only 2% within 40 years. That's how long it took, it took to flip our mindset. It was the exact opposite. Only 2% of homes were paid for. Isn't that crazy? Only 2% of homes had a mortgage. That's how fast our mindset can change. But what's the real cost? Let me give you an example that might help illustrate the point on this. The average American individual in that household has about $8,100 of credit card debt. Let's say you're going to make the minimum payment on that, and the interest rate is somewhere between 18 and 20%. I think 18 is the median. If you make that minimum payment on that every month, you know how long it's going to take you to, to pay off? Around 10 years to pay for that meal you had out of Red Lobster or whatever, right? And the TV that's no longer works anymore, the DVD player that's now in the trash or whatever. It'll take you 10 years to pay for that stuff. It's crazy. And that's assuming you don't use your cards again. If you use your cards again, that just gets longer and longer and longer so that you'll never really get out of debt. But what's the real cost? Not only will you pay tons more in interest, but the real cost, I want you to think about this. Let's say you go through uh, this, maybe you go through a Dave Ramsey class, maybe you go through whatever, and you make a decision say, you know what? I'm not going to just be enslaved by debt. I'm not going to walk that path instead. I'm going to take a small amount of money. Let's say it's the, the minimum amount due that you'd be paying on that credit card every month. And instead of using it to pay off debt, let's say you never never went into debt in the first place and you took that little amount and you put it aside into savings every month and you put maybe a new investment, you get a little compound interest going. At the end of the 10 years, you're going to know how much that'd be worth? 40 grand. $40,000. Go to the next slide if you would. If, if you let that roll over, you get some real compound interest going Go for another 10 years. What's that? 160000 30 years? Half a million dollars. Now, this is not a get-rich-quick thing. I don't care. I do not think money is where it's at. If, it, if I did, I would not be a church planner. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> that is not the path we're on. That is not where life is found. But what I'm talking about is the long-term cost. Instead of being enslaved for the next 10 years, you and I could be walking a path that actually gives us some choices where we could express radical generosity, where we could use all of our finances in a way that says, God, how do you want me to use this for your kingdom in a way that's going to 
and make a difference for all eternity. Can you imagine what that would be like? But we cannot get enslaved by the short term, by the buy it, click it, spend it, charge it, whatever mentality. That leads to poverty. It does. Again and again, the banks would be happy to loan it to you. That's how they make their money, right? The, the banks would be pleased if you were unable to make a payment or two. Because <laughs> they can just jack up the costs, right? They would be delighted. They'd be delighted to, to take all of your money. I read an article uh, two weeks ago or something that one person that made like $35,000 a year had been approved for like $3 million on credit cards. He had like 500 different credit cards or something. I'm like, They'd be happy to lend it to you, right? And then they own you for the rest of your life. But instead, what if we were to walk the path of freedom? What if we would learn to have some self-control to say no in the short term so that we can say yes to some other things for the long term? I better keep going. I'm sorry, I'm getting, getting uh, caught up here. Let's keep going. Second thing, I, I, I think, and this is straight out of Dave Ramsey and pretty much every other financial guru, if I, if I can, Set up an emergency fund, right? And this is just practical. If you don't have some money in the bank, they, Ramsey, I think, it recommends a thousand bucks. Put put a thousand bucks back in savings. You know what the purpose of that is? It's called an emergency fund. What do you think the purpose is? It's for emergencies, right? Because is your car going to break down sometime? Yes, I can guarantee it, right? You keep the car long enough, it's going to break down. And instead of pulling out your Visa or MasterCard and continuing the cycle yet again, this is money that you put aside on the front end so that you can pay cash when those things happen, when an emergency comes up. It is not the, oh, that's such a cute outfit fund, right? It's, it's not it. It's not, it's not the, man, can you, it's Super Bowl Sunday and I need that TV, right? It's not, it's not the 4K TV curved, whatever the newest thing is. It's not that. It's for emergencies so that when those things happen, you can pay cash. Where do you get the thousand bucks? Well, there's all, find it, right? There's all kinds of ways you can do it. It's tax return season. If you get it, if you get some money back from the government, rather than just going and blowing it, Maybe take, maybe take some of that and you put it back into the emergency fund so you can make smart choices and not be enslaved anymore. Maybe you sell stuff if you have to, right? Maybe you, whatever, but you, you, you know, maybe if you get bonuses at work, maybe that's a great opportunity, but whatever. But you, you do what you have to do. Even if you have to put away a hundred bucks a month for 10 months, again, I think you can do it faster than that. But even if you have to do that, you do whatever you have to do to get a little bit of cushion so you can make some wise choices. Again, I'm so tired of seeing us enslaved. This is a path that leads you out towards freedom. Third thing is just declare war on debt, right? God warns us again and again and again. It's not sin. I'm not talking about a sin thing here, but he's saying it's so dangerous and it will enslave you. And so he's saying if you've, got, if you've taken on debt, Pay it back, right? Do it as quickly as you can. Do whatever you have to do to free yourself. And so you declare war on debt. I'm going to show you something. This is Dave Ramsey's too. It's, uh, he calls it the, uh, the debt snowball, right? Some of you have, have done this, walked through it. And let me just kind of show you. This is what he says. It's a great, it's a great thing. He's got on the left, you can see column one. He's got 
list all the debts that you that you have. I've got actually some worksheets on the back table. You can take these with you if you've got a bunch of debt and you want to be free. Looks like this. Take it on the back table, take it with you. But the first the first two pages are like, let's be clear about what you actually owe. What debt do you have? Oftentimes we don't even know. We haven't even stopped to take notice or to take count, take stock of all the different debt that we have. And so this kind of goes through just asks you different categories. Sometimes we're behind on utility bills. Sometimes we're behind on credit card bills. So it goes through and says, what, you know, what is it that you uh, that you owe to whom? What's the total owed? What's the minimum payment? And you can kind of see put them in decreasing order. So the one that has that's the cheapest first, and then on down in terms of total owed. And, he, and what what uh, Ramsey would say is this: to get the debt snowball going, he says you're going to once again you're going to find two hundred dollars a month. And again, it's real easy for us to say I can't find two hundred dollars a month. I don't have two hundred dollars a month. I mean, I think probably most of us would probably say that. This is where you have to get creative. We spend $200 a month, most of us, on all kinds of stupid things, right? Well, all kinds of things that we don't actually need, things that are convenient. How much do we spend on our cell phone bill every month? Again, you can't take away my cell phone. I need that for work. I need that for my life. I need that for whatever. Could, could you get by with a flip phone? <laughs> You're like, no, could you get by with a, a card phone or whatever? I mean, I get it, right? I, we don't want to, but what if you could scrounge something there? Maybe you could cut down one phone. Maybe you could get a cheaper plan, who knows? Maybe you could get rid of cable, or maybe you could downgrade your internet. Maybe you could, again, whatever you have to do, maybe you just simplify a little bit. Save yourself 200 bucks a month. He said, okay, so what you're gonna do is you take the minimum payment for your first one, which is Sears, right? The minimum payment is what? 50 bucks, you're gonna add 200 to it, you're gonna pay $250. You do that, $250 a month, you do that for how long until you get pay off the $450? Come on, math whizzes. Two months, you're done with that. You you take that, you cut up that stinking Sears card, and you vow never to spend money on that thing again, right? It's gone. You cancel the thing, right? You pay that off. Now you've got $250 you've been paying. So you add the $30 you've been paying on the Kohl's card, right? That's the minimum payment. So $250 plus $30 is... You guys are sharp, right? <laughs> and so we start slamming that at $280 a month. It does not take long to get through Kohl's, right? You kind of see how this is going. You take the 280. Now you're going to pay back the loan you took from your parents. $200 a month. So add 200 to the 280 that you had before. You're at 480. You see how this is going? It doesn't take long, even even at $1,600 because they're getting bigger. It doesn't take long once you're at four, almost $500 a month. A little over, you know, into four months, and you got that sucker knocked out. Now all of a sudden, it's getting huge, right? Now you've got uh, five, you know, you got five ten. Then the next one, you, again, you kind of keep going. Nine hundred ten. By the end, you're paying one thousand one hundred ten dollars. You're cutting up the credit cards, right? They're gone. You're not adding to it. You're slamming these things down. The crazy thing is, if you made the minimum payment on all of these until the debt is retired, it would take you hundred and twenty months to pay that off. Ten years. If you do it this way, you could be out of debt, you can have all those paid off in 21 months. It's a difference of 99 months. You think you could use an extra $1,100 for 99 months? Again, I'm gonna go back and talk about total costs. If you take that money now that you have been paying on debt and you start throwing it into an investment and you do that for the remaining 99 months, you wanna know how much you're gonna have when all that is paid off, when all that is said and done? I think I did I throw it up someplace. Maybe I did. It would be $186,000 that you could save up in those 99 months with a little bit of compound interest thrown in there for good measure. Okay, this isn't about getting rich, but think of that's a house, right? You could pay off your house with that and then have some left over. Think of that. 
You could be completely debt-free in 10 years. And again, I'm not a Dave Ramsey, whatever. These are biblical principles. He's saying, man, would you pay this stuff off? Would you walk the path to freedom? So many of us have lived our, lived our lives enslaved by debt. And if, if we're honest, we are on a path that we will never, ever get out of debt unless we change, unless something happens. The name of the series is Making Change. And so we're just encouraging you. Would you take these biblical principles and would you apply them? You and I did not have to live our lives enslaved by death. We don't. There's a better path. And God says, would you trust me? Would you put me first? Would you follow my good plans for you? And that includes your finances. Would you walk this stuff out? And you can walk from slavery to freedom. I'll go back up. Why don't you pull up that? I think I got one more slide. Pull this back up. Right, Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. But you don't have to be. Right, there's a better path. You don't have to be. You and I can choose to walk the path of God's wisdom. We can choose and learn to say no to the, especially the things we can't afford. If we have, if there's something that we see, something that we need, something that we want, we save the money for it. Right? We walk away. We save the money for it. If a few days or a few weeks or even a few months, depending how big an item it is, we still think it's a good idea. It's not just an impulse buy, but we've got the money for it. We can afford it. Then go buy it. Enjoy it. Have fun. Pray about it, you know, first, but go. Enjoy it. It's given to you for your enjoyment, for God's purposes, right? It's, it's good. But don't be enslaved. Let's not keep doing this credit card. I see it. I got to have it kind of thing. But let's walk into freedom. Learn to say no, and especially to that stupid uh, credit card debt. Let's, let's put some money away. Let's save a little bit like Paul talked about last week. Let's put a little bit away in an emergency fund so that we no longer have to uh, pull out the credit card and keep, keep doing that slavery cycle. And third, let's declare war on debt and walk out of bondage and into freedom. Let's close in prayer. God, that's uh, our cry. Lord, so many of us, this is... It, it seems like an unspiritual topic because we're talking about money, and yet, uh, and yet everything is related to you. Everything, but we we recognize that real freedom comes only from you. Real fullness comes only from you, and real truth comes only from you. And so, uh, I pray, God, that you would teach us, and you'd empower us, that you'd fill us, you'd help us to walk into your freedom, into your plans for our finances. Lord, specifically about debt, Lord, I know so many of us really are, our heads are bobbing under in this whole realm, and we have been so enslaved, and God, I pray that you would help us to put this stuff into practice, that we could walk in your wisdom and truth. Lord, give us self-control and wisdom of when to say no and when to say yes to things. Would you teach us, God, to, to save and to put some away? And then, uh, as well, Lord, I pray that you would give us your favor, give us, uh, provide for us in extravagant ways as we declare war on debt. I pray that God, even as a result of this series, as a result of this message today, that uh, we as a church would be 